All right, let's look at Romans chapter 1 again. It's a great chapter in the Bible. It's one of the cornerstone chapters. And we're looking at the last half of it where God speaks through Paul of, of some very important truths about sin in the world, the condition of the world, and, and, and then the, the character of God and the contrast between the two and how man is in sin and not worshiping the Creator as he should. And then Paul mentions several attributes of God and so this is guiding us as we talk about who God is and His greatness and His attributes. So let's, uh, let's read the verses again, starting with verse six, uh, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man." and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So we have seen verse 20 particularly, it mentions His attributes. We talked about His power, and I think Paul's phrase there, Godhead, this translated Godhead goes along with that, his authority. We talked about how God is eternal, that is mentioned there. And then we talked about, uh, verse 23, God possesses great glory. And we talked about what, what that means. And then in verse 23, in that, that opening phrase, change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. There's our, our next description of God, that God is said to be incorruptible. And this is in contrast to man who is corruptible. Another way, is the other, another word for it is, is in verse 18, is man is unrighteous and... God is righteous, verse 17, mentions the righteousness of God, which is the great, uh, great theme of the whole book, is the righteousness of God and how, how we can come and receive the righteousness of God to save us as a gift. And so here is the great aspect of God, is that He is incorruptible. That means that God cannot be corrupted by sin. He cannot be impure in any way. So there are many words we use for that in the Bible, uh, and we used to describe it, of 
God's righteousness, God's purity, God's holiness. All of those express, and are talking about this, that is uh, expressed in the word incorruptible. God is, God is holy and pure. <clears throat> he has always been holy and pure. And God can't be anything other than that. He is the standard. He is the source of all that is right. And as Paul continues to talk about this, um, he gets into the sin of the world and talks about, it's very insightful how it, the, uh, sinful man work, goes through a process of downward uh, decline into sin and all societies go the same way. And they have, when you study history, you see all societies in the past have gone through these same stages and we now look in our own country, we're in the same thing. We're going through the same thing of first immoral lusts and then homosexuality and then a total given over to all forms of sin. Any, just no restraints at all, which is the final stage out of the homosexual movement that is expressed with the word queer. It's just against all limits, no standards, everything goes we see that happening in our own world. That's the contrast to God. God will never go there. He can't. That's who He is. His being is to be the standard of what is pure and holy. And that's an amazing part of God. First uh, John says, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And... A very important thing to think about and to where I was going with what I just said was when we try to deal with all the sinfulness in the world and debate it with them, debating homosexuality, transgenderism, just uh, any, even adultery, lust, indecency, immodesty, all of that. Invariably, what you will deal with, whether you talk to unbelieving world or even Christians within the church, what they'll say to you is say, what right do you have? to say that that is wrong. That's your opinion, and you have no more right. Your opinion is no more valid than my opinion, so stop talking to me about it. You'll hear that approach. That'll be the rebuttal to you if you start talking about, <clears throat> I think this is not good. I think this is a sin. Because it comes down to people don't want to be held to a standard. They want to be in charge of their own life. And that's manifested in unbelievers and believers. And the important truth to answer all of that, and it needs to guide us too, is we're not the standard of what's right and wrong either. But what does God say? What does God want? That's the standard because God is perfectly pure and right all the time. Uh, that's a part, you know, we, we have these theological words and, and they have good meanings and they are good, like holiness, incorruptibility, but, and righteousness, it really gets down to a basic, simple thing is God's just right. God's never wrong. 
God can't be wrong. And so when we deal with these debates, like, you know, say, well, I can say that I'm whatever gender I am, or I can, I can, I can uh, be homosexual. You can't tell me I can't do that. I can choose to do whatever. The answer to that is, no, it's wrong because God has not chosen that for the world. God's the standard. The way he set up the world to function defines what's right and what's wrong. And it's man who then comes along and goes away from God's perfect standard and becomes corruptible, it's corrupted. And that's what Paul presents here. There's corruptible man, incorruptible God. <clears throat> and so the answer is, well, that's wrong because God says it's wrong. And God's the stand. God's the one who decides. See, the, the whole debate is, well, you, uh, you can't decide for me. You can't tell me. Uh, and, and that's true. Technically, yes, we can't decide for another person. But God's the one who decides what is really right and wrong. And that person is not the authority either. You know, they're saying, you can't tell me. And they're, what they're presenting is, I get to decide what's wrong. And so then, then, then they've set themselves up as the decider, and that's wrong too. The answer is, well, you're not the one who decides. I'm not the one who decides. God's the one who decides. And what I'm doing, I'm just trying to tell you what God has decided. And God has said that homosexuality is wrong. God has said that he made male and female, and there's only two genders. And he created a person, the gender they are, and put it in their DNA. You can't change that. And you shouldn't try to change that because God's the one who decides. That needs to be our answer. God decides. God decides. And I'm just telling you what God has said. And that's how we're then the third party in this. God's the one who decides. And he decides what is right because... He's the only one that can do that. He's the only one that has that ability because he knows how it should be. Just think about back before anything, well, you have to use your imagination, before anything existed, there was nothing. There's no way for us to try to determine, okay, how should things be? It all came out of the mind of God, and only He could do that. And what He decided was what was best. He's the only one that has that ability because God is holy. He is incorruptible. He is pure. He cannot be wrong. <clears throat> and this is a wonderful part of God. You know, you, you'll hear people say, well... I just, oh, I just, people frustrate me. I can't trust people because this person wronged me, that person wronged me, and I just can't trust them. I can't trust them. And, and there's some element of truth in that. We really can't totally trust anybody because we're all fallible. Anybody can let you down because we're all corruptible. The only one who will never let you down is God because he's incorruptible. That's why we're told to put our trust in the Lord multiple times in the Bible, over and over. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Don't put your trust in man. 
trust in the Lord. Now, as people, God's plan is, and His salvation is that as there are leaders in the world that God has delegated to, and that they are called to follow Christ in being leaders, and to agree, we are just we are to, to trust them, follow them as they follow the Lord, but ultimately our trust is in the Lord, and He's the only one that is above any incorrupt or corruptibility. So ultimately our trust is only in the Lord. Because only He is, is uh, right, and another word is perfect. Uh, God always does everything that is, that is perfect. Uh, that was in the, the word, that word was in the song, Holy, 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 that God is perfect in power, in love, in purity. Uh, he's the only one that's perfect. Nobody else is perfect. We all are fallen. We all... Uh, are corruptible, and then we struggle with sin, but the difference then with a saved person is they come and they have acknowledged their sin, and they, they come to the Lord and put their trust in Him to forgive them and to change them, and the heart is then changed. Being saved is a change of your heart towards sin. It does not mean that you will never sin again the rest of your life. But what it does mean, you're going to try not to sin. Your attitude is to, that you don't want to sin. You're going to fight against the sin. You're not going to give in. You're not going to run after it. You're now going to resist it. And then that's the struggle of sanctification and the Christian life is that as Paul said, that I want to obey God with my mind, but my flesh is still pulled towards sin, and there's this constant battle, and we've got to stay stronger in the spirit than the flesh, and we'll be victorious going the right way. But we struggle with sin constantly because we're corruptible. God never struggles with sin. He never is tempted towards sin because He's incorruptible. He's light, and Him is no darkness at all. His holiness is a wonderful thing. It's our anchor. It's, it's like, it's like the, a ship that's going down and, and, uh, you know, and people are in the water uh, about to drown. And, and it's the lifeboat. Or maybe a rock would be a better picture. A rock that's there that the lifeline is connected to the rock and it's thrown out. And that all the people in the water are us, the sinful world, and we're struggling and we're in weakness, but God's the rock that pulls us out in His purity. And he'll ne He never struggles with sin. And so that's a wonderful part of God. That is our confidence. We can have confidence in, in, in God and Jesus to put our trust in Him because of His holiness. It's a good thing. It is, and, and God's work in us is to pull us, lift us out of the water, put our feet on the rock, and that we have a change of heart to 
seek to obey God in His purity. And we seek to be obedient, not to be sinful. And there's, there's a lot of opposition to that, really. In the world, but even within the church. That is very disheartening. Because the whole work of God is to pull us out of sin and to set us on the road of holiness. But if you seek to do that, you really are serious about doing that, that's going to set you on a, a totally going against the current in most of what the world does, in a lot of areas. And you do that, and you'll start getting criticized within the church, sometimes more than outside the church, because, because they don't really, most Christians don't really, aren't really have a serious um, desire to turn away from sin. They want to get as close to sin as possible and still go to heaven. That's the general attitude. Let me see how close I can get to the edge and, and have, you know, I want to have all I can have, but I, I want to be a Christian. No, I want to do, you know, I want to have, I want to have eternal life. But, but let, me, let, let me be out, let me have everything else I can have in the world. They want to be as close to the edge as possible. And most of the time it's fence straddling. You want to have one foot in the world, one foot saying you're in the kingdom of God. And it doesn't work that way. You see, that's, that's saying, oh, I, I want what sin has. Jesus calls us to, to surrender all, to repent of all, to put everything, to, sacrifice, to die to everything, and to serve Him above all and follow Him. He says, take up, uh, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And that means to die to all sin. And that means we're going to fight against it. Again, that doesn't mean you won't ever struggle with sin, but your heart is to say, I'm going to fight it. I'm going to resist it. I am not going to pursue it. And God will help us with that. But that makes all the difference in the world is your desires. Whether it's to run after sin, to be a part of it, or to run away from it, be separated from it. God is holy, and those who follow Him are called to be holy, as He is. First Peter, Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, As it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And then Peter brings that up again throughout the whole book, and several times in the area of uh, sexuality. He says to, to flee away from lust. And he talks about false teachers over and over. He says they walk in the lust of their flesh. That is the basic uh, corruptible element of sin, is the lust of our flesh. And we're called to turn away from that. The world is running after that full force. And the Christian church, by and large, is following right along behind them, just about 50 yards behind. And they feel like they're, they're okay because we're 50 yards away from the world. But they're following the same direction. If, if uh, Christians uh, 200 years ago, you can say 200 years ago, or even 2,000 years ago, 
could see, or if they came into our world today and they saw the modern dress styles that Christians wear, they would be horrified. They would say, what are you thinking? What are you doing? But the modern Christian world is saying, well, I don't do everything they're doing. I'm about 50 yards behind. But they're way down the road. What's the standard? Is the standard what the world is doing? No. The standard is God. The holiness of God. The incorruptibility of God. Of God saying, be holy for I am holy. You're to be my people. And uh, you are to... uh, you are to have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. Peter says it this way, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain. That means have nothing to do with it from the fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter says, be different, be separate from sin. So that's what comes out of the holiness of God is we're called to separate from sin. If there's anything that's sinful, that creates temptation of sin, we're not to have anything to do with it. Whether that's a dress, uh, how we dress, an activity, anything we allow come to our minds, we are called to Follow God, which is the best in God's holiness and righteousness. And the converted heart says, yes, that's better. The unconverted heart says, oh, that ruins my fun. Oh, oh, I'm just going to miss out. I'm not going to be a part of the crowd. That's the unconverted heart. It's also the carnal heart that Paul talks about of a Christian. And carnal is a Greek word for flesh. That the Christian still wants to participate in the sinful things of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and still wants to participate in it while being a member of the kingdom of God, trying to do both. And they do not see the greatness of the holiness of God and see, I'm not missing out on anything. That's perfect. That's what's best. That's where the most is. And you have that change of heart when you say, this is better. You won't say that. We won't say that. And you can get out of focus on this. We can get out of focus on this when we turn our eyes away from the holiness of God, the incorruptibility of God, the perfection of God. And we begin to say, oh, okay, I don't want to stick out over here. I don't want to be the only one who does this. I don't want to be ostracized. When we do that, when we're thinking that way, and it's, very, it's a part of our sin struggle, is that we are fearing and focusing on man rather than fearing and focusing on God. And God's people have always been called to go against the flow. And the ones who do are most of the time in the minority. The remnant 
but those are the ones that are following the will of God. Just like Noah. Noah was the only one who followed the will of God. Out of billions, probably billions of people at that time. One. One family. And the Bible records, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he told him to build an ark, and Noah alone was saved when the floodwaters came. At that time, I bet Noah was pretty glad that he chose God. And he walked out of the ark in the, minor, in the majority, whereas before he was in the minority. If we will follow and seek God's holiness, it always will turn out good for us in the end. And this is who God is. He is incorruptible. He is holy. And then that is set in contrast to all of these things Then that he mentions after that. Uh, uh, that God then gave up the world to uncleanness, to dishonor their bodies uh, in the lust of their heart. Let's talk about sexual immorality, where they began to commit adultery and, and uh, violate their marriage vows. And then it led into homosexuality and then a total debased approach to life. And this is where we're at in our world today. This is what's happening right in our own world, in our country. And how do we deal with that? What do we, how do we respond to that? Which way are we going to go? <clears throat> the answer is we need to follow the holiness of God. That is what God wants us to do. First Peter, be holy as I am holy. That's God's will for us. That means we are going to choose what's right, what God has said, even if it's unpopular. Even if it makes us not be a part. That's the choice of God's holiness. And if you see God in His holiness and you see how great it is, you will make that choice. And it's always the choice of victory. When Jesus went to the cross, he made that choice. All of the disciples forsook him and fled out of fear. Trying to play the crowd, trying to, oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got, I, I, uh, we got to try to manipulate this thing. And they all fled. Jesus stood alone going to the cross to deal with sin. And three days later, he came out as the resurrected Lord with eternal life and all of his power and then sent out the disciples to go and make disciples of all the world that has made billions of disciples since then and we're a result of that and the kingdom of God grows every year because Jesus went to the cross pursuing the holiness of God who he was he had to go make atonement for sin. The most important issue in life is dealing with sin, dealing with unholiness, dealing with corruptibility. That is the most important issue in life. And so the most important thing for us is then to 
repent and believe on Jesus and to follow Him with all of our hearts, which means it's a life of pursuing obedience and turning away, separating from sin. That is the most important focus in life. And the tragic thing is, in the Christian world today, first off, the gospel many times is preached without dealing with sin. And therefore, it's no gospel. It's just, invite Jesus in and He'll make you a more successful person. Invite Jesus in and He'll help you with your problems. Invite Jesus in and, and you'll, just, you'll feel better. Just, just believe on Jesus and He will help you. That's how the gospel is presented today. And it has no mention of sin. And if there's no mention of sin, most of the time, maybe not, you can know, say every time, but a lot of the time, those people are not repenting. They're just believing on Jesus to try to get His help with something going on in the earth. And that's not salvation. Salvation is repenting of sin. It's being saved from sin, of being saved from your unholiness, your corruptibility against an incorruptible God. And if a person is not repenting of sin, there is no salvation. They're having a religious experience, but they're not having born-again repentance or uh, salvation. It's about dealing with sin. It's about dealing with the fact that we are, have violated the holiness of God. And that's what brings about a repentance. Say, I repent to you, Lord. I have disobeyed you. I am, I am a, a sinner, and I am then justly condemned in my sin. And you repent of that and say, Lord, I am sorry. I have gone the wrong way. Please forgive me. And the only way you can ask that uh, and it work is say, I've, I ask you to forgive me based on the death of Jesus on the cross. And so then you put your trust in him to forgive you. And that's biblical salvation. That's the first thing that's not happening a lot in the church. Where they're not dealing with sin. It's just some religious thing. It's kind of a faddish thing even. It's kind of a, a, just a popular thing. Oh, come and have Jesus. He's cool. That's another way the gospel is. It's, it, Jesus is just cool. You come and accept Jesus because it's the cool thing to do. That is not the gospel. It's not about being cool. It's about being holy. But they don't talk about that. And they're not preaching biblical salvation. So people are believing in Jesus for wrong reasons. And so that's the first thing that's wrong. And then after that, when you start wrong, you certainly will continue wrong. But then after that, there's not focus on this call of the holiness of God that He calls us to separate from sin it is oh don't talk about that that's that's being legalistic that's being um improper don't talk about things like that and uh jesus here's the the the, the main mantra in the modern church is jesus just accepts you the way you are you just come and you just be what be yourself in fact that's i've heard that more and more it, it, it is the uh Description of the Christian life. You can just be yourself. You just be yourself. Let me tell you, we try to be ourselves before God, we're in trouble. 
That's the problem. Us being ourselves. We're corruptible man. Being ourselves is the problem. But the modern church preaches, oh, you just come and be yourself and God will accept that. No, He won't. He's holy. In Him is no darkness at all. He won't accept that. He's about changing us and putting us on the road of following Him and His holiness and His righteousness. That's what God is after. And it is the most wonderful life there is because that's where life happens the way it should. And it's so easy to lose sight of that. And many have today. And many are pursuing this in the wrong direction. That's why uh, the modern church, they're now embracing adultery, homosexuality, transgenderism. And we look at things and say, how can they do that? Because this is the road they've been on. They made a... They made a... a um, a shift in their thinking that said, we don't have to conform to the Bible and God. God has to conform to us. And, and we, God can accept our choices. And so if, you know, a person says they want to be homosexual, well, we can try to, you know, we can try to say, well, maybe that's not the best thing. But if that's what you want, we'll let you come on in. We'll let you be in leadership. And maybe we'll hope you'll change your mind down the road. But if you don't, that's okay. We can all work together. We just work together. And that's the mentality. That's the shift that happened that's growing in the churches to say, you can just choose to do what you want and we'll just accept it. God is accepting it. God accepts you just the way you are. God is, they've totally, totally abandoned the holiness of God. That's why it's important to read the whole Bible. Because in the Old Testament, it really presents the holiness of God in a very clear way. And if you're reading, I hope you're reading through the Bible and you're reading through parts of the Old Testament and you read through uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, you see the holiness of God. When uh, Aaron's two sons came and offered a sacrifice. They were bringing a religious sacrifice to God, but they did it with unholy fire, fire that went off the altar that had not been cleansed. And God sent fire from heaven and burned them up. That's the holiness of God. God will not accept just the way we are. We cannot approach God any way we choose. The holiness of God is the standard. And if we want to approach Him, We've got to come in repentance and faith and trust in Him, in His way. And that's a total shift. We come and say, God, you, okay, you tell me what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to surrender to whatever you say. That's a person that is accepting the holiness of God. And the modern church is totally coming at it from the opposite way of saying, God, you accept what I'm doing. And it does not work that way. God is sending His judgment and on our land uh, because of what the Bible says God's people are doing. Because God's people are turning away from His holiness. The unbelieving world doesn't even know it, but God's people should know that. And judgment begins first at the house of God. 
So this all comes out of the holiness of God, and it is such an important fundamental truth that uh, should define how we go about life and direct how we think and what we do. It is the answer for everything that's going on in the world today. All right. Well, this is neat how Romans uh, gives us these attributes of God. I had not really, because that's kind of a secondary aspect to this, um, but it's a wonderful basis for us to study. And there are more. There's, there's another one, at least one more, that we will look at as we continue through Romans, and we'll do that in the future. But God is the foundation of everything, so we need to stay close to who He is and what He is, and that is our life. All right, let's pray. We praise You, Lord, for Your holiness and help us to have a true heart to see Your holiness and to surrender to You and to obey You and to see obedience is the greatest thing to do. Help us to help us in our struggle against sin and to turn from it and to be strong against it. Help us to obey you and to serve you and to be a light for you in this dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.